Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Matt Eddy. We are one week away from opening day. Everything is still getting ramped up, but testing-wise, things seem to have sorted themselves out after a rocky start. There haven't been any incidents. There haven't been any canceled workouts recently. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Obviously, a lot of things still have to happen outside of baseball's control for a full 60-game season and postseason to be played. But as of right now, things are better than they were a week ago or two weeks ago, at least from a baseball perspective. And for purposes of completing the season, that's obviously an encouraging step forward. Matt, there's a number of organizations that we have seen build up over the last few years, kind of on the rise. One of our big focuses at Baseball America is the big picture, not just who's good right now, but who's going to be good three years from now based on the talent they're accumulating. The Braves were a team that we highlighted as having the best farm system in baseball a few years ago. Within three years, they're now back-to-back division champions. When you look at baseball right now, how all 30 teams stack up, we know who the power players are. We know the Dodgers. We know the Yankees. We know the Astros. We know the defending champion Nationals. But this abbreviated 60-game season, as we've discussed, potentially could allow a lot of young players to come up get their first taste of the majors, particularly with injury risks and the COVID-related IL. When you look at all 30 teams right now, who are some clubs that stand out to you as organizations on the rise that we could start seeing maybe take some steps forward here in 2020, ultimately toward contending in 2022 or 2023? Yeah, I have two that I really want to circle, one in each league. And I'd like to get your feedback on these as well. Um, For me, the number one organization on the rise would be the Marlins. I really like what they've done in terms of balancing their prospect portfolio. And so many of these guys are close to the major leagues now. Um, When you have arms like Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, and this year's first round pick, Max Meyer. I mean, all these guys are on pretty much the same timeline to the majors. That's so crucial to getting, uh, getting an organization on a winning track. Um, I love those three. Uh, The position player depth is outstanding. Um, Beginning with JJ Bleday, uh, Jazz Chisholm, shortstop, Nolan Diaz, the first baseman. Uh, and even they have sleeper guys beyond that who scouts will go to bat for, you know, like shortstop Jose Devers, um, outfielder Peyton Burdick. Um, the athleticism of outfielder Cameron Misner, you know, just the list goes on and on. That's just the surface of, of the organizational strength. Um, I think they're well positioned to become a contender within the next three or four years. Obviously, with the Marlins, there's always concern about whether or not they're going to spend the money necessary to compete. They've built up some really, really, really good, talented player pools, if you will, in recent years. But we saw them trade away Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, and JT Real Muto all in quick succession. There are some pieces in place. Brian Anderson is one of my personal favorites. But when you look at the Marlins, I think what's encouraging is the young pitching they have. Sandy Alcantara had a really, really good year last year. Caleb Smith is a very promising lefty with swing and miss stuff. And you talked about some of these guys they have coming up. Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, their first-round pick, Max Meyer. I still think Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett, two first-round picks who have kind of fallen off the prospect map a little bit, are actually two very, very promising, talented players as well. 
We've seen them develop pitchers successfully and trade some of them to go get some other pieces. We saw them bring up and then eventually trade Zach Gallen. Same thing with Trevor Richards. Same thing with Nick Anderson. The Marlins very sneakily have been pretty solid at developing young pitchers over these last two years. And to me, that's a really, really promising place to start. The big question with them is the position players. We heard pretty openly that when the new regime took over, they liked what they inherited pitching-wise, but they were not happy with the position player crop. And we've seen Lewis Brinson struggles. Ison Diaz, it's very lukewarm reviews. Monty Harrison, you love the athlete. The swing and miss concerns are very, very real. So I think for me, just seeing what they've done to bring in position players over the last few years in trades, like a Jazz Chisholm in the trade for Zach Gallen like a Jesus Sanchez in the trade with the Rays involving Nick Anderson, Trevor Richards. It's been interesting. And, and I do think it's a promising place to start. What I like about what the Marlins have done, and, and we focused on this in our rebuilds package a few years ago, pitchers take longer than hitters. So the best thing to do is bring the pitchers up first, give them a year or two to acclimate, and then bring up the wave of hitters because their acclimation period will be shorter. And I think the Marlins have the order right. The pitchers are further ahead of the hitters. I think on the whole, they've got the process right now. It's just going to be a matter of keeping guys once they actually get there and get good. Yeah, and keep in mind that the new ownership group might handle you know, payroll differently than, than past ownership groups. We don't know for certain, but they might. When you look at their roster right now, you've talked about the guys who – have a chance to be really good for them in the future. Every team needs core pieces to hold on to through the rebuild. Do you see many of them? Because I, I think Brian Anderson is one. We saw Jorge Alfaro do some good things last year. I'm a big Garrett Cooper fan. I do think they have some pieces. There's just four or five spots they're going to have to fill out long-term. We saw them sign Corey Dickerson as well as Jesus Aguilar in the offseason. So they're bringing in some players who can help them in 2020. But in terms of mm-hmm. long-term position player kind of tent poles, do you think they have many? No, that is their weak point. Because when you, when you think about the age and just the service time considerations, even for Anderson and Alfaro, who you mentioned, I mean, they're going to be pushing 30 by the time this team is a, a playoff contender. So it's really a flip of a coin whether they're still going to be productive and uh, quote-unquote affordable at that point in time. Uh, on the pitching side, it's a little brighter because you mentioned Alcantara. He, he and Pablo Lopez are both 23, or, or both 23 last year. I could see them being parts of the future core, but guys like Caleb Smith and Garrett Cooper are already older than you, know, than you might realize. Yeah, Caleb Smith, age 27 season last season. Garrett Cooper was his age 28 season last season. But, you know, there's still a couple good years left in these guys' primes. And I will be interested to see if the Marlins hang on to them, especially Cooper, just given their position players. It's a little less surefire, which is odd because normally we feel much better about position players than pitchers. But there is a good group of arms here. And I do think there's a foundation to be optimistic about the Marlins Now we just have to see if they can keep all the pieces together with the new ownership group. Matt, that's your National League team. Who in the American League has stood out to you, and are you curious to see maybe see some of their young guys take a step forward this season? Yeah, for me, that would be the Blue Jays in the American League. Um, You know, you start to see some of the pieces they've brought along in the lineup just in the last year. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. shows a lot of uh, potential. I think when you combine that type of impact potential with the prospects who are coming in the next three years, um, especially on the position player side, you know, Jordan Groshans, 
uh, would be the headliner there in their first round pick Austin Martin from this year's draft. Like, I mean, you have like five or six lineup spots right there. You can kind of sketch them in as occupied for a contending team. And then the pitching is always going to be a question, uh, you know, for there really leaning heavily on two of their top three prospects, Nate Pearson and Simeon Woods Richardson. One of the things with the Blue Jays where I think they have a chance to be competitive faster than than maybe a lot of people think, look at what they did at the end of the year last year. This was actually a pretty competitive team once they brought Bo Bichette up in July, once Vlad Guerrero Jr. kind of found his feet after a bit of a slow start. He had a slow finish too, but he was pretty good there for a couple months stretch in the summer. If you, if you really look at that record, I mean, they were nearly 500 in September and, and they had a couple of, of really good stretches where they were playing good competitive baseball. You look at a lot of these games and they were in it. And I think just seeing how they improved to the end of the season, once they got some of these young guys in the lineup, it, it gives me some faith and some hope. I go back to, you know, the position player tent poles. In some ways, the Blue Jays are kind of the opposite of the Marlins, and they have a lot of those guys. You have Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you have Bo Bichette. Lourdes Gurriel, very, very quietly, had a really, really good, loud season last year, over 84 games. Uh, Kevin Biggio showed you some good things. There's pieces to work with here. Now, for me, it really is just going to be about the pitching. They made a lot of additions to their staff in the offseason. They signed Hunjin Ryu. They brought in Chase Anderson. They've done some things to bring in some veterans, but there's going to need to be a lot of these pitchers coming up in order for them to really contend, I think, with the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays in the coming years. Trent Thornton's probably a keeper. He's shown some good things. But I just, it's tough because guys like Nate Pierce and guys like Simeon Woods Richardson, they haven't been there yet. And it's going to take more than just those guys. They're going to need a, a wave of young pitchers to come up. And I'm just not sure they have that in their system right now. Yeah, and that's, that's accurate. I, I did like the aggressiveness the front office showed in acquiring pitchers. Um, you mentioned Ryu and Anderson, and they also added Tanner Roark. Um, I think that was the right strategy and they seem to be in like, if you, if you read the rumors, they seem to be in on a lot of the starting pitchers on the free agent market. So I think this will continue to be a theme for the Toronto organization. You're right. And I thought that was one of the more encouraging things. Uh, this was an organization I felt like just looking at the offseason moves they made were very, very open and honest with themselves about their weaknesses and realized that if they wanted to compete sooner rather than later, they were going to have to bring pitchers in from the outside. And I know it sounds simple, but it, it is amazing me how many organizations sometimes they're just so optimistic about their own guys. They're not able to take a step back and look at the big picture and realize, no, we need some outside help. And I think the Blue Jays being as aggressive as they were to go get the starting pitching, that to me is encouraging. And I think bodes well for them in the future having a front office group that does that, that is aggressive, that is going to go out and get the help and isn't going to fall back on, well, you know, we think the industry's wrong on this guy and we're higher on him and, and we believe in him. And, and that's fine. It's good to believe in your guys, but sometimes it's important also kind of take a step back, look at the big picture and say, no, we need to get some help if we really want to reach the levels we want to get to. Yeah, and I would just add a couple other things regarding the pitching outlook. And that's with the player core being so young, they should have a lot of money to spend on free agents for the next several off seasons uh, on pitching free agents. I mean, and um, I think it's important to keep in mind that 
at various points in the franchise's history, the Blue Jays have been a large payroll team. I mean, this was particularly true in the Gillick Blue Jays of the early 90s. I mean, I know it's ancient history, but the there have been periods where the Blue Jays have spent like a like a, a high revenue type of team. There's no question. Look, Toronto is a large market. The Blue Jays, as you mentioned, have shown the ability to be big spenders. And we'll see if they're able to do that once they get more competitive. Matt, in each of these cases, the Marlins and the Blue Jays, realistically, when do you see them contending for a postseason spot? Because at the end of the day, that's the goal of all this. Yeah, I think 2023 is the best case scenario to make like a serious playoff run. Um, if everything goes according to plan, I would say, yeah, give them this season plus two more. How about you? I do for a little bit. I think the Marlins are, we're looking more at a 2023 timeline, the blue Jays with the addition of the extra wild card. I can see a scenario where they're competitive next year. I think by 2022, Assuming everyone stays healthy, I think they have a shot to contend for a wild card then. It's always going to be difficult with the Yankees being a behemoth in the division and the Rays, what they've built in terms of mm-hmm. uh, you know both the major league talent base as well as what they have in their farm system. But the addition of the second wild card, I, I think, gives the Blue Jays a shot to be contending sooner than the Marlins. Yeah. And there were a few other organizations on the rise that we could do quick hits on. Did you... I have a couple I would mention just more broadly. Do you have one that you'd like to talk about? I mean, I think there's two that do jump out a little bit. You know, we start in the American League. It's, it's weird to talk about the Angels as a team that is quote unquote on the rise because they're a prominent team with so many prominent players. By the same token, this is a team that has had four straight losing seasons and is coming off its worst record in, in 20 years. So this is an organization that does need to rise. I think bringing Joe Madden as manager has already been a huge help. You just see it and, and how he engages with the media and the team and just the general vibes around the organization. But you look at, they have some good young talent, both in the major leagues and in the farm system. For the first time in a while, they had a, a big wave at the start of the decade, right as they were coming off dominating the AL West. Some short-sighted trades and free agent signings kind of limited them to only one postseason appearance during the decade. So again, just having the talent there is never a guarantee, but obviously you have the best player in baseball in Mike Trout. You have the most uniquely talented player in baseball in Shohei Otani, but we've seen them bring up some guys like David Fletcher, like Luis Renjifo, and particularly on the pitching side, Griffin Canning, Jose Suarez, Jaime Berea, you have guys coming up behind them. Again, not that these guys are all studs, but just they have in-house starting pitching depth for the first time in years. We remember them signing and bringing up, you know, Tim Lincecum and Deck McGuire and bringing Chris Stratton and just being awful, having to recycle older guys. I think the combination of, of the young guys they've brought up, and then you have potential superstar in Joe Adele, another potential all-star type in Brandon Marsh. Uh, they drafted Reed Detmers. Jordan Adams is a really good athlete who, who is more polished than people give him credit for. I think this is an organization that is in good position to turn around the stretch of four straight losing seasons sooner rather than later. Uh, and certainly by 2021, 2022, when the young guys are all up. Um, but again, health is the big thing here. And, and that's been something that has been a problem for the Angels organization for some time. Uh, and Canning and Otani, I mean, they need those two guys to be healthy at the front of the rotation. 
Otani's already had Tommy John surgery. Canning's elbow was barking in spring training. So that's going to be the real, real key is if those two guys stay healthy, I think they'll have the pitching to get it done. If they don't, they probably won't. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm a believer in, you know, smart people make smart decisions. And I think Billy Epler, the general manager, has a long track record in that department. Um, he's, he was responsible or partially responsible for most of the Yankees' big pro acquisitions, you know, during the late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, so I, I see him as a major asset for that organization. How about on the National League side? Because I think that's, that's kind of the side that it's almost harder for me to see some teams breaking through in the sense of the Dodgers are a behemoth that's already at the top, and, and I don't see them being knocked off their perch anytime soon. The Braves have back-to-back NL East division titles. They've got a tremendous young talent base. The Nationals are defending champs, and, and even though they lost some key guys this offseason, namely Anthony Rendon, this is a really good team that has some really good starting pitching. I don't think you can count out any time in the next two, three years. And then in the central, I mean, the Cubs are still loaded with stars on the position player side. You can never count the Cardinals out, the defending NL central champions who have a sneaky amount of, of young talent, both in the majors and in AAA. I almost feel like in the national league, it's going to be harder for a new team to break through. However, someone always does. So in the National League, my answer would be a little more cliched, a little more obvious, uh, but I would go with the Padres here. I think they're approaching a critical mass of uh, a foolproof talent when you have some of the young pieces they have, including Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, and C.J. Abrams in the minor leagues. Then on the pitching side, you have Chris Paddock and Mackenzie Gore, the top pitching prospect in baseball. I think that's, you know, you, you don't have to... Be- <laughs> The, the, the bar is lower to get the rest of your decisions right when you're starting from such a high point. There's no question they brought in a lot of talent and they've supplemented it. And obviously signing Manny Machado, um, the Eric Hosmer signing has not worked out so far, but you know, there's, there's always hope there. There's no question. There's a lot of talent on that team. You know, one of the things that I've, I've talked about a lot is putting guys in the best positions to succeed. Uh, the Potters have had a, an issue in terms of playing guys in positions they really shouldn't be playing, and it's hurt their defense, which in turn hurt their pitching, and then those guys take their mistakes back into the box with them, and it's hurt their offense. For all the promising pieces they've acquired, this is a team that's perennially in the bottom five in Major League Baseball in almost every offensive category. There's been some very serious structural issues in terms of just no matter who they bring in, controlling the zone has been a problem. Plate discipline has regressed for almost every player they've brought up to the majors when they get there. That's something the organization is working to aggressively fix. You're starting to hear them, especially new manager Jace Tingler, just you know, preach, we're going to control the zone, we're going to control the zone. It's something they've struggled to do for years, and that's why they have a new pitting coach literally every single season. So for me, I think the talent's there. It's going to be about developing it and giving it the best chance to succeed in the majors. That's something the Padres have struggled with. I've talked about that openly. I'll be very curious to see how they deploy some guys this year, whether they're starting to put guys in their best positions to succeed literally and letting them stay there and get comfortable there, or if they're constantly going to be cycling guys around in the name of versatility, but never letting anyone actually get comfortable enough to be successful. So to me, I think the talent's there. Now I just want to see how it's deployed. And that's the wild card. You know, Jace Tingler's a first-year manager. We're going to see how he deploys the players on the field this year. But I do think the Padres have a very, very, very good young pitching staff. People do not talk enough about how good Denelson Lamette is. Joey Lucchese is a very, very solid back-end lefty that a lot of teams would love to have. 
Um, you mentioned, you know, Chris Paddock in year two. You have Mackenzie Gore. I thought the acquisition of Zach Davies was a good one. Some of those Padres teams that were competitive from 2004 through 2010, they had solid offenses. They were typically, you know, middle of the league-ish, but they were really built around starting pitching. Petco Park has been, you know, the fences have been moved in so that it doesn't have to be as pitching dominant as it did back then. But for the most part, when the Potters have been good, it's been because their starting pitching is good and their bullpen's been good in Petco Park. And I do think they're trending in that direction with a really good rotation, a really good deep bullpen with a lot of options. And yeah, I think we're, we're beginning to see some, some knowledge learned from mistakes here because um, they've been so poor in particular. Their on-base percentage against right-handed pitchers has been the worst in baseball for like several years running. Um, which I know it seems odd to say, but I think that makes some players such as Trent Grisham and Franchi Cordero and Josh Naylor really, really key elements for them if they're going to be successful. There's no question, you know, Grisham getting on base and, and also, you know, Cordero staying healthy. I mean, he's not really a huge on base guy, but having that left-handed bat will certainly help those left-handed hitting outfielders. And, and Josh Naylor, the addition of the DH should be very, very beneficial for him. I'll be curious to see if they just, you know, stick him at DH and, and let him spend most of his time there, or if they keep trying to run him out to the outfield. Again, it's going to be one of those cases where, again, it's going to be about, okay, are they going to let a guy just put him in you know, a spot and let him succeed in there? Are they going to try and force him to be something he's not? To me, Josh Naylor is actually going to be kind of the, the big test for that this year. And I think if they manage everything correctly, the talent is there for them to be an organization on the rise, not just in terms of farm system rankings, but actual major league wins and losses, which again is what matters at the end of the day. That's the point of the farm system ranking. Um, and, if, and, if, and if Gore comes up this year, I mean, there might not be a, a rotation with better stuff than the Padres. We have Paddock, Gore, Garrett Richards, and Lamette, who you mentioned. I mean, that's, that's four ridiculous arms. That is. That is absolutely four ridiculous arms. And, and I do think if that's, um, you know, if the Potters are going to win, that's, that's going to be a critical, critical element for them. And, and I do think it is feasible and possible. Speaking of good rotations, just to give everyone a tease here, our upcoming issue of Baseball America focuses on the fastball. A couple of pitchers took steps forward with their fastball velocity last year, and it really led to breakouts. Matt, you've compiled some of the pitchers who, who took those steps forward last year. Take us through this list and, and what it means moving forward for these guys. Yeah, I think what's most interesting here, the, the two most interesting names um, of this top 10 list and, and what this list ranks is the uh, four-seam fastball velocity gainers um the one the pitchers the starting pitchers who gained the most velocity from 2018 to 2019 um and i think the two most interesting names will be no surprise given the way they performed um and those would be lucas giolito who ranks third on this list he's the white Sox, um one of the frontline starters and uh number seven is cardinals ace jack clarity you know I, i think we are free to use the term ace now after the way he pitched in the second half last year uh, and he increased his four-seam fastball to an average of 94.3. So it was up a full mile per hour from 2018. And in the great cover story that uh, Cardinals correspondent Derek Gould wrote for us, uh, he asks Flaherty exactly how that happened. So be on the lookout for that. 
Yeah, I mean, Flaherty and Giolito, uh, high school teammates, by the way, at Harvard-Westlake, just outside of Los Angeles. Kind of a crazy thing to think about having Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, and Max Fried all in the same high school. One of the things that stood out to me about this is we talked so much about young pitchers filling out, growing into their velocity. And, but what stood out to me about this list is you have young guys on this list who are 24, 25. You also have a lot of guys on this list who are 29, 30. And you also have a 35-year-old on this list. And the point is, I think, you're never too old. It's never too late to add a tick. There's always things that can be done. Yeah, um, Patrick Corbin was one of those pitchers. He's 30 now, but was 29 last year when he made that jump. I think him going up a tick to 91.8, so essentially 92 average, I mean, that really helps helps his slider play up, especially because he has such good command of the pitch. I mean, he's one of these rare, you know, two-pitch pitchers who's like a, a strong number two starter. Yeah, you know, the guy that jumped out to me the most was, was Jake Odorizzi as the guy who uh, improved his fastball velocity the most in terms of percentage last year, 30 years old, and, and he responded, you know, the direct result was you know, career best ERA plus, career best war. That was the one that jumped out to me because when I think about the guys who are adding fastball velocity, again, my thoughts went to a Flaherty, went to a Giolito. Jake Odorizzi was not on my radar, and you look at it, that's the guy who increased the most in terms of, you know, again, the percentage gain on his fastball. Yeah, I think that's a tribute to the Twins, you know, their pitching instruction and also their pitching strategy where they're not asking him to go through the lineup three times with any kind of regularity, you know. They're just saying, you know, here – Give us your best for 18 to 20 batters. It's an interesting list. It's righties, lefties, it's college guys, it's high school guys, it's all different ages. And again, the point is you're never too old to change and never too old to improve. Again, there's a lot of great stuff on fastballs and our upcoming issue. I encourage everyone to check them out. Matt, before we wrap up, again, final week here before we get to the regular season. Uh, just what are your thoughts on where everything stands and, and what you're most looking forward to here as we, as we roll into opening day? Uh, still optimistic. I think, you know, the, the testing procedure needs to be buttoned up, and, and I think it will be. I think some of these initial concerns are, are valid and uh, do need to be addressed. But, you know, if you can identify the weakness, then you can improve it. Yeah, there's no question. Again, the success of Major League Baseball, uh, being able to complete a 60-game season, it's going to rely on the testing being thorough, being accurate, uh, and being quick. And then also, uh, as a lot of players and managers have talked about since summer camps have opened, it's also going to be a lot about them when they're away from the ballpark, making smart decisions, wearing masks. We'll see how much it actually you know, plays out in practice as the season unfolds. But I know we're all hoping for the best. Um, all the front office executives, managers, players we're talking to are all hoping for the best. And, and now we just have to see how it all plays out. But in the meantime, I know we're all looking forward to baseball's return and, and we're hoping it can stay back, if you will. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today on this uh, edition of the Baseball America podcast. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, for Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.